Stoveleg Media, igniting conversation. Welcome to the 75th episode of the Pulling Tart Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Bobby Kuhn. I'm super pumped to catch up with my old boss and president of the Beloit Snappers, Dennis Connerton. Dennis has been a part of the Snappers organization since 1990 and has been honored with a bobblehead giveaway that happened this past Saturday. Make sure to go back and listen through the catalog, folks. There's 74 other great episodes with awesome people that work in minor league baseball with so many different backgrounds and stories. Uh, There's something for everybody back there. Make sure you go back and listen. If you want a shout-out on the Pulling Tart Podcast, it's pretty easy to do. Just drop a rating and comment on Apple Podcasts. That helps drive us up the charts and turns more people into members of the TARP crew. Also, if you know of any businesses looking to branch out with their marketing and potentially sponsor the Pulling TARP podcast, please let me know. The best way to reach me is to follow me on Twitter at It's R.A. Kuhn. That's I-T-S-R-A-C-O-O-N. For all up-to-date news about the Pulling Tart Podcast, with that being said, let's chat with Dennis Connerton. Dennis, welcome on to the Pulling Tart Podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your evening. You're a busy man these days. Well, you are. You always have been, um, but especially right now. Um, so how satisfying is it that all of the hard work you've put in over the last at least 30 years um, is finally starting to pay off? Well, it's... It's extremely satisfying. It's um, it, and, and it's not over completely yet, mm-hmm. um, you know, because we don't we we still haven't gotten the final agreement signed um, and, and agreed to by Major League Baseball, but we're confident that's going to happen, and it's being worked on even today before this uh, podcast. I was working on it. Uh, with some last-minute tweaks in the agreement because um, it's all new and, and the document's been in process for a long time before the, the change to MLB. Um, and so it's, it's extremely exciting and rewarding um, to think that we're this close and the stadium is ready to open in just a couple of weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, and everything's planned for the grand opening and tours and everything. And uh, we had our last game at Pullman. And so it's starting to sink in that maybe this thing's going to happen. <laughs> and, uh, all the people that said 
find a different passion, Dennis. You know, they're probably going, wow, he, did, he, he didn't <laughs> give up. <laughs> it's, it's fantastic feeling. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, it's a good time to be a Beloit baseball fan, that's for sure. Um, and, you know, and I alluded to the fact, you know, in the um, intro that we worked together. But we'll, we'll get there, um, you know, here later on in the interview. But I saw that you were honored with a bobblehead giveaway. And I have a, I have a couple of folks that have uh, sent me messages on Twitter say, asking me for my address. So I'm assuming at least one of them is on the way. So I'm excited about that. But what's it like being honored with a bobblehead giveaway at one at the well, the last Saturday home game at Pullman Field? Yeah, it, it was the last it just happened Saturday, the last Saturday uh and uh it, it I'll tell you I found out about it the uh sixth or seventh of July, something like that. Um and they had this secret, secretly done a year ago already. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the uh, new organization, unbeknownst to me, and everything was done behind the scenes. But uh, uh, they they finally had to break break the news to me <laughs> in case it started to leak out. And I tell you, I was floored. They we they did a a Zoom call. They they, they were so um, concerned about when we can get this done. And I said, well, I'll be coming back from 4th of July weekend and I'll be home on maybe Monday. Well, then how about Tuesday morning at 9 o'clock we'll have a meeting. So we had a Zoom call and we got on there and uh, it was the new president of Gateway Professional Baseball. Mm-hmm. And then Jeff Gray, our, our outgoing general manager, and they were both on there. And I'm like, what is this going to be about? And all of a sudden they... <laughs> Hold up the bobblehead on the Zoom screen, and, and they said we did this for you. We just wanted you to know that that uh, we have, this is going to be a special event we're going to have in a week or two weeks at that time. Yeah, and that was I, I, I just about died. I was uh, just so so shocked. Uh, never saw it coming. Never expected any type of uh, recognition like that, and, and it just it was. It was humbling because um, the last person that didn't play baseball that that I, I can identify with that got one of these was George Spelius, who you know. Yeah. And George, you know, was one of the three founders of our franchise and president of the Midwest League for so many years. Mm-hmm. And, and I can understand that. And then when they said, we did this one for you, it was just like, wow, am I in a different category than I expected and, and it was just you know kind of humbling to to see that and um, a lot of people saw it and got a lot of a lot of calls and emails and I'm requests. sure yeah so it was it was a nice night I mean, they they recognized uh, uh, that Saturday uh, not just my bobblehead and, and myself but um, the other person that was uh, recognized was Harry Pullman and his family, mm-hmm. I should say, Harry Pullman's family. Yeah. Um, and all he did for baseball in Beloit and that, uh, the, to take home the, the plaque on the stadium. Yeah. So two, two recognitions and definitely, as I said, humbling and came
came out of the clear blue to me. But uh, I'm going to definitely uh, pass that on. You know, <laughs> definitely is something that, that is unique. Yeah. Sure. Do you think it turned out well? Do you think it looks like you? Well, like bobbleheads go, and you know, I mean, everyone says, I, I don't remember them looking like that. And, you know, <laughs> they take them from pictures and they take them. So it's it's a close resemblance, I would say that. <laughs> Some of my close friends tell that, well, that's, where did you get all that hair? You know, <laughs> it was years ago, you know. <laughs> that was years ago. That's and of course, funny. I had different classes or something at that time, but. Uh, it got the point across, and it helps to have Dennis Conard underneath it and clarify who that's supposed to be. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, yeah. Wow. Yep, I can't wait for, for mine to get here. Um, but so you were heavily involved over the last three decades. What were some of the biggest challenges of maintaining Pullman Field while trying to get a new stadium and keeping the franchise afloat all at the same time over the years? Uh, it was like juggling, you know, because there were so many so many uh, balls in the air at one time. And you touched on them with your question. Um, I mean, we had a lot to... Uh, lot to handle and uh, the uh, the existing facility obviously constantly needed repairs um, and we had tried so many different approaches to get the uh, stadium across the line um, at, that went down dead ends for one reason or another mm-hmm. I mean, there weren't just one or two or three or four there were half a dozen and and then we had uh, roadblocks and Time between each of these, and we just kept coming back with a different, different uh, approach. Talking to different people, talking in a different site, um, and it took all that time. And we had three consultants involved over time: architects, renderings, fundraising experts, and everything. Um, and all the while, obviously, Major League Baseball's on, on us because of the facility standards mm-hmm. continually as everyone uh, realizes, were continually increasing. And Beloit was grandfathered in, in some of these things, and soon that time was going to run out. And we got right down to the wire on that, as everyone knows. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and as we put the pieces together and we found supporters that made it possible in our community, which is where the board wanted it, uh, we had agreed as a board of directors that we had to sell the club to use the proceeds to fund the state, help fund the stadium. Mm-hmm. So we had all these these uh, challenges that a not for profit entity like like ours was, right? With no money and no shareholders to go to, um, we, we finally put all those pieces together uh, to accomplish it. But at that time, uh, the last challenge was contraction of you know the minor leagues was going on right at the very end when we thought we were so close. And while we were close and while we had a plan and while we had supporters and we had beautiful uh, designs and and spent a lot of money to get to where we were, Mm -hmm. we were on that bubble of 120 like everybody else of the other uh, clubs that were uh, worried about contraction at the time. Yeah. And, um, you know, 
came down to where we, even within our league, supporting the approval, everyone was was kind of looking after their own. Mm-hmm. You know, rather than if Beloit didn't have a facility, you know, maybe then they would automatically be one of the 120. Sure. But if they had a new facility, where would the other person or the other team come from? Mm-hmm. So we ran into that at the very end as well. I'm sure. So it was right down to the wire, and uh, um, but it, it would be great. Uh, you know, the Major League Baseball is excited about it. Our, the new Marlins affiliate is super excited about it. And, uh, it finally got there, but it, it was an emotional roller coaster that I hope I never have to go through again. <laughs> I don't have enough years left in my life to do it, number one. Yeah. I don't know if I physically could anymore. Like you said, there were a lot of balls in the air. You had to juggle quite a bit. What were some rewarding moments from from doing all of that? The the one that sticks out in my mind um, uh, as far as a a, a rewarding moment, a, a, a high point, was one that followed right after a low point. When we had this last opportunity that we finally succeeded with, um, we had uh, the, the key people that's, that were involved, the, the new buyer of the club, uh, the site was selected, the, ren- the renderings were done, and we did community uh, presentation to see what additional fundraising we could get. And succinctly we fell short I mean so we didn't we didn't have enough and the key supporters decided that well we tried mm-hmm. and we were, were still short and um, and uh, so it was the last major blow that we had and I was in my car one day and my phone rang and it was an old boss I had when I worked uh, in Beloit I worked with for 17 years mm-hmm. and he said Dennis I can't believe you are quitting at this point in time and like I did it and <laughs> it wasn't one cho- it was not a personal choice it was a group that decided they're out because we don't have enough we just don't have enough quite to get us over mm-hmm. and uh, so he is the one Jim Packard is his name oh I know and, I know who he is yeah, yeah. Jim Packard and he motivated myself and the rest of the group that how can you get this close after all this time and then stop that you can't do it. So that was the turning point that got everybody back in and then some additional funding came through, uh, some generous funding and and Jim is now the president of the stadium authority board so he took ownership in it. it, uh, Okay. Personally, but that was the turning point at the end, and definitely the, the pick me up. <laughs> moment. Yeah, okay, all right, that's interesting. Wow. Yeah. Okay. It was so close. It was. It was. Oh no, we tried. You know. Yeah, I mean, I I wouldn't have blamed you. I mean, you tried. You guys tried for a long time. Um, right. I know. So the general manager that hired me here in Delmarva. He told me that when I got here, he said, you know, I interviewed for the general manager position in Beloit. And at that point, he told me that was 20 years ago. So that would have been 
in '97, um, and he's and he's he said, "Yeah, they were telling me that that a new stadium was right around the corner then." <laughs> and he he said that they were looking and looking at houses in Beloit and everything. Like they were there. I think he made one of the final cuts, and I think they decided. I think you guys decided to go with someone else. Um, I don't know who it would have been at that point, but ninety seven. Yeah, somewhere around there. Jeff Nelson was our general manager. He's passed away now, um, but uh, he uh, was in that era. Okay. Um, but uh, well, that's too bad. But yeah, that's not a. I bet a lot of people could tell those stories. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we told them that when the stadium was coming so many times. I mean, that, we marched all over. They had me talking to farmers along the interstate, you know, about selling their land, and um, I'm sure another community up the road about a park, and we we tried to build it between Boyd and Janesville, and for a year we worked on that with the county board. And, mm-hmm pass at the very end after a year of lobbying and, and presentations so wow every time any one of those times we could have given up but uh, the last one i remember was the one i just talked about with Packard. but you probably could if i thought about it i could give you another half dozen <laughs> um well speaking of general managers you were the acting general manager for a while and worked with the staff, including myself, on a day-to-day basis. Can you kind of just describe what that experience was like and how it was different from your from your normal role, per se? Yeah, um, it was. <laughs> it was uh, educational. <laughs> it was informative. I mean, I, I knew the in general terms the operation. And uh, as you can expect, um, but it, it was definitely um, something that I wouldn't want to do again. <laughs> it was, it was uh, more intense than I thought um, I wanted to invest in, but I had to do what had to be done. I mean, and, and I don't know if all the listeners know, myself and all the board members are all volunteers. Mm-hmm. We're not for profit, community owned, corporate. Or, Corporation and run uh, with a volunteer board of directors, and all we have is a small paid staff. So when we couldn't find a general manager at the at that point that you're talking about, Bobby, and um, yeah, it was down to the eleventh hour. You know, that's when I duty called, and so I went in just like you said. And I mean, it, it was fun working hands on. It was tiring, as as you well know. Yeah. Being there all the time rather than just coming out, you know, half hour before the game starts and <laughs> sitting around for an hour after the game and going over problems. Now you're here with them, feeling on the front line, and it was uh, definitely, it was definitely challenging. But in, in the same breath, I mean, it, I enjoyed the, the the good times with the staff. You know, the, the lunches sometimes that mm-hmm. we had in the in the, in the front and. Um, uh, it, it was eye-opening to see exactly the the, uh, the day-to-day um, flow of the operation and some of the things that I wasn't aware of as a, as a director. Yeah, um, definitely got, got my 
uh, an awakening and some more knowledge into the operational side. Yeah, that was always one of the things um, as a as a staff member. You know, we always felt like the board didn't understand what we were going through, and and then all of a sudden you were you were there. Um, you know, almost as much as you know what we were there. Um, and I mean, I don't think you pulled tarp because I think you shattered your ankle back in the day. Yeah, I, uh, I am. I still can't. Yeah, do a lot of running on that ankle. Yeah, yeah, but um, but other than that, you were you were right there, you know, with us. Um, so, and I I also wanted to point out that you were the person that. So I and I've um, told the story a couple times on the podcast that I made my full time start in in baseball as the director of food and beverage, and but my background was in media relations and marketing and technology and that kind of stuff and you were the person that fully transitioned me that told me that gave me the go-ahead you're now the director of media relations and marketing um so i didn't have to deal with the the fryers and the grill anymore um i almost burnt my my face off on the fryers one time um but but thank you for for doing that and allowing me to go into a position that I was more comfortable with. Um, but, but yeah, still, still a lot of work. It just happened to be more mental than physical at that point. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I remember clearly it, and it's nice to see your eyebrows have grown back. After that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they were definitely <laughs> singed for a while. <laughs> no, it, uh, it, uh, I remember that specifically because you finally got what you wanted to, or what you had background uh, in, and had hoped to accomplish when you started. But you knew that that wasn't available, and you took the you know what we had, and then you finally got it. So that was yeah, good. yeah. I do remember that. <laughs> so obviously, you and I both know that Beloit is an amazing city, amazing town. Um, it doesn't it doesn't have all the things that a big city has, but but that's that's okay. What makes Beloit an amazing city that deserves to keep their minor league team? Well, I think Beloit's very supportive um, the, uh, of itself and its image and um, is, is, is a sense of pride that... Um, it's easy to say, but sometimes people say it. Uh, but in, in the case of Beloit, I mean, I, I lived here, um, I got here around 78, uh, 1978. So I've seen it booming, even with in reference to the club. You know, uh, we had corporate sponsors and employees that um, had hundreds, if not thousands of employees, and, uh, and they were all manufacturing companies. Like mm-hmm. General Motors, um, you know, Light yeah. Corporation that made paper making machinery, um, Fairbanks Morris engines, you know, that was huge. Yeah. Warner Electric brake and clutch. I mean, and all these companies had a lot of employees, um, and uh, they slowly, being part of the Midwest, the people like to call the Rust Belt, mm-hmm. we experienced that in Beloit as these companies went away and merged with others and it took a lot of jobs out of town and 
took a lot of corporate support and the, the community was was down on you know, itself and they, they recreated themselves and came back over the years and stuck with it and um, you know that that stick to it attitude and and getting a lot of uh, I guess bad publicity at times and, and I think they were resilient enough to rebuild and, and has a, have a fantastic downtown now um, wins awards almost every year for, for the downtown uh, has a liberal arts college right in the downtown mm-hmm. and um, it's seated in a wonderful location on the river where the new stadium will be um, so it, it has a reputation of not giving up on anything and in that the story with the franchise the club it kind of fits into that same thing not intentionally but thinking back I mean it kind of fits in with the whole redevelopment of Beloit and the redesign and, and the downtown completely renovated um, things that create vibrance and renewed interest and renewed economic uh, growth and development throughout the whole state line area getting on the other side of the interstates to increase the, the huge amount of uh, uh, land now that they have available to develop and are developing yeah. so, um, but I think we were what coming to mind in one of those cases was when General Motors went through their bankruptcy in, in that mm-hmm. um, and the auto industry was down. We lost the Janesville plant um, and we were interviewed. Our general manager, Jeff Loss at the time, was interviewed, I remember, nationally on what the, uh, the loss of General Motors means to all these communities. So one of the, the communities they chose was Beloit because of the franchise. And so... Um, we did. I mean, Chrysler was on the other side of the state line, and Chrysler shrunk down to uh, almost uh, half or less Okay. Uh, at the same time. So all those challenges were there for the community and magnified for a, 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 a baseball team that was trying to survive the way it was. Um, so we got over that. And so fitting in this new stadium challenge and almost down to the 11th hour, I think, community rallied behind that just like they rally behind everything that I've talked about mm-hmm. and uh, it makes that community unique to me I, I, I tell the story I, I came from Milwaukee I thought I was always going to go back to Milwaukee when I um, left my, my um, employment here in Beloit and that was in 78 and, and here, here we are 2021 <laughs> and Dennis is still here yep um, I had to sell my old place in Milwaukee because I figured I'm never going back. So I right. cut ties with it. And, uh, but it, it's, it grows on you. It's, it's a great, great community. The people are really fantastic. And uh, I think the stadium is just one example of all that uh, that has transpired. Um, the, uh, the change in the renewal and the, the growth that springs from it. So yeah. I answer to a short question. No, I I agree. Um, You know, Beloit has some of the best and nicest people I've ever met. Um, And I still stay in touch with with quite a few. Um, You know, that that goes to show you, like, you know, even when I leave town, you know, I still keep in touch with some of them. Um, So, yeah, Beloit. And, you know, I had my, my frequent watering holes 
um, that that were were community owned um, and you know fantastic folks there as well. Um, you know, just just an all around good time in Beloit. Um, even even the the college. Um, you know, we we had some great interns and employees that that came from the college as well. Um, and when I was leaving, you know, you could see the downtown starting to develop a little bit more. You know, there's that stuffed burger restaurant. There's, there is an ice cream place downtown. There's, I think at that point they were talking about a new brewery being in downtown Beloit, um, which, which I've heard is good now. Uh, so, you know, all those different things. Um, and then, you know, working in your passion that you know obviously you know that that's what really hit close to home and i know i was an east coast transplant but everybody treated me like like i was their their neighbor and um yeah they you know a lot of people would do do anything for for anybody in that town so it was it was an amazing place to to spend four years of my life. I, I said on Twitter, um, you know, I was sad that, that Pullman Field was playing its last game, uh, but obviously extremely excited for the city of Beloit that they're getting a new stadium. And I said, in a way, I kind of grew up in Beloit. Uh, you know, I, I grew up in Pennsylvania, but then 23 to 20, age 23 to 27 is when I lived in Beloit. And that I think that's where you do most of your you're growing up and figuring out who you who you are outside of college and and who you are professionally even. Um, so I think that I I owe I owe so much to the city of Beloit and I'm super happy that uh, that you guys got a new stadium and that Pullman Field lasted this long. Honestly, yeah. So I agree. I agree. And the other thing about you know the the the, the new stadium is all that was done without any public money. Yeah. Not a dime. Not a dime. Wow, that's amazing. Um it is. you you're also on the stadium committee. So can you share some of the amenities that the new stadium's going to have? Yeah. The uh, the, the stadium's actually owned by the Riverbend Stadium Authority. Um, and it's a not for profit, um, 501c3 corporation. Okay. And uh, they are the ones that raised the money and built the, the stadium. And the city, I, I said they didn't have any economic uh, uh, cost. They did donate the land that we're on. Okay. Um, that is along the river. Um, so they did, um, it didn't cost dollars and cents, but it did, it did give up the real estate behind City Hall, as you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, the, the Riverbend Stadium Authority was the ones not only to raise the money, but then to contract uh, the building construction of that and, and now completed as we're days away. Uh, but it's going to be fantastic. It, 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 the, the board um, and the donors behind it um, were definitely one one-sided in making decisions if it was going to better it we should do it and um it wasn't like this is all we can afford um it, it got we'll get the money one way or another and we 
we should add that, we, we should do that. So there's been a lot of improvements going on as, as with construction, but as you know, and as most listeners probably know, the stadium starts with um, all the requirements of Major League Baseball. Mm-hmm. So we'll be 100% compliant. The only team that has everything that, <laughs> that is currently a, a to-do and under their new matrix for uh, the merit points, we should be okay for uh, you know very many years until they change the update the rules. But right. we built it right down to change orders at the very end to comply with everything that is in the uh, major league requirements. Okay. Um, so it's, it's going to have all of the the, uh, the requirements of major league baseball. The fan experience is going to be. A knockout compared to our current fan experience. Um, uh, just to give an example, there's a 360 walk around concourse, which nice. I've always liked, and fans like it, and uh, parents like it because the kids can walk around and they can keep an eye on them and still keep an eye on the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it'll have, it'll seat about, I think 3,500 is what uh, the fixed seating area. Uh, uh, in different areas, it, that includes uh, a, a stadium club, uh, which is about 300, I think, a very nice uh, okay. year-round use of the stadium club for receptions and, and, and reunions and that type of thing on the on the second floor, nice. and then two small suites on the second floor. Okay, um, for about a hundred uh, total people, I think, in, in there. But then it has two party decks on the uh, one tiered one on the right field side and uh, another one on the left field side. Um, a little berm area, children's play areas to be built in the outfield. Okay. Um, it's the the food um, will be serviced by two kitchens. Oh. As you know, what our kitchen was, you kind of described was the grill that you'd have singed down. Yeah. Deep fryer. And we had a hot dog roller, I think. That was it. Yeah. And maybe a, a pizza warmer or a, um, a toaster oven. Yeah, or yeah. <laughs> that was our kitchen. Yep. Well, now they've got uh, huge kitchens that uh, will be able to service all quality, uh, different quality foods and different varieties of foods and, and also allow them to use it for catering for the private events that, that are being held there year-round. Okay. Um, It'll have the big video board that you know Pullman Field tried, and it didn't. We got like one of the first ones, and it lasted <laughs> less than five years. Oh gosh! The technology changed. Yep. Uh, so it'll have all that for instant replays. The the other one you'll love is the uh, the uh, video uh, area next to the press box. The press box will be huge. Yep. Number one, where you spend a lot of your time. It, it's uh, probably 10 times that. I'm sure. <laughs> and, uh, ne- right next to it is another video uh, room where we'll be able to broadcast and videotape um, uh, a lot of that that as well. Um, okay. So, and then you go behind the scenes with the, with the player area uh, below the stadium. Um, they'll have two indoor batting cages, one for each team, uh, so that they can just walk out uh, their clubhouse and go across to the batting cages. Um, big uh, commissary on each side, the lounge that we have, expanded lounges, okay. weight rooms. Um, so it will be nice for them. Obviously, one of the new 
uh, baseball standards is uh, to address the female side of the uh, staff now. So right. we have female locker rooms for umpires and coaches okay. and that type of thing. Right. Um, so that is all added into this. Uh, so two elevators, you know, Ooh. you don't have to climb those bleachers at, or those steps at Pullman Field anymore. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, there, there's two entrances, one off the, uh, the front of the building and another one in center field, which would probably be the big one. Yeah. Uh, but it'll be fantastic. It's actually going to have artificial turf, too. Uh, yeah. Which is a change for for uh, our, our uh, market and most clubs in, in uh, minor league baseball. Okay. And uh, that will allow it to be used for more events without wear and tear on the field. Okay. So, as you know, we, we couldn't schedule extra games by the Legion or the high school or whatever before if there was potential damage to the field so we had to have a space in between and if it rained we couldn't let them play because it would damage the field right um and now it's there, there are still restrictions but obviously the field's not going to get damaged uh, as, as much right because everything will be artificial except the infield uh dirt it, it's and and obviously the mound is still play but uh, okay yeah sure the rest, including the warning track. So, you know, the warning track, uh, you know how we used to have to squeegee the puddles out and everything. Now mm-hmm. it's all going through the artificial turf and okay. into the drainage system. Huge drainage system. Right. So, huh. uh, the, uh, the last thing I didn't mention on the fan side, too, was on this 360 concourse, it allows us to park a lot of various food trucks around oh really okay the concessions that i talked about the food um and the kitchens which service the stadium and the concourse area but then out on the perimeter there's a there's going to be uh food trucks with local local uh restaurants or or, uh, food providers out there with a variety of different things so that somebody wants something unique you know they're going to find an opportunity to try something different out there with rotation of food trucks very cool yeah i saw some the snappers social media is starting to uh, unroll um some of their concessions that they plan on having at the new ballpark and some of those look pretty tasty so i'm, I'm gonna have to yeah. give those a shot when i go out there yeah there's definitely some very uh good-looking uh, dishes that I've seen pictures of already. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> excited about that. Um, but, yeah, you are... There's no bleachers in here either. It's all... Oh, yeah. Yeah, so it's uh, okay. different. You don't have to sit on a hard bleacher. Okay. It's funny because um, you're kind of, like, overlapping with some things that I saw here in Delmarva. Um, they, they did, like, a huge renovation right before I got here. And so they took out all of their bleachers, and when when I got here, like, the stadium was pretty much empty. It was just, like, cement, you know, steps. And then they put in all individual chairs, you know, individual seats, like you were talking about. And then they got a new, brand new video board, which, which you said. And then they also, they didn't have a 360, you know, 360-degree deck, but they put one in. I think that was my last year. Um, and 
it it was more, it it didn't have as much space as what you're saying where you can put like food trucks and stuff out there. It's more of like um a boardwalk kind of like it's 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 wooden and it just goes around the the outfield. Um but but people seem to enjoy it. So um yeah, the the new stadium sounds exciting. Uh you already answered my my next question about the artificial turf. That came from um, some groundskeepers that I've had on the show. They, they said, they said, oh, I don't like you know artificial turf, but I know you guys are going to try to host um, some other community events. So, you know, you said Legion High School, and I think you guys plan on doing some football games and stuff too, right? Well, soccer is definitely one okay. We spent some time on to try to get this make sure that the corners of the soccer field and the space required for soccer, that there will be, they'll be able to lay out a soccer field on there. Okay. Because that's a growing um, interest or a sport that's of interest. Right. Uh, and so, yeah, it'll fit on that. Um, the good thing is, is that, I mean, even at concerts in that, there, there's not the, the as high of a risk that you're going to damage the playing surface. Sure. That you used to have that, you know, we had to roll out the, the, the overlay on the on the outfield when the fans would go out for concerts or watch movies on the field. Mm-hmm. This thing will take some of that, um, okay. a lot of that off. You can just restrict the infield now, and, and you know the outfield will be uh, all uh, all artificial. Okay. All right. Well, including the warning track. I'm sure. Is, yeah. It, that, that's a, a, a. I mean, I was. A naysayer on the on initially, you know, you've got to prove this all to me. Right. And warning track is one of the concerns I have, and and the way that it artificially it's done, it, besides the um, the color, is they put a little volcanic type rock underneath there that players can feel and hear when they're approaching that. Besides okay. seeing the color change, um, so they'll know that they're close to the wall. Okay. So. Hmm. It, it's all way more improved than what I used to be aware of you know, when we looked at this in the past. And the Marlins, who are going to be the, are, who are the affiliate, are pleased with that because they're used to that. Okay, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. All right, awesome. So you've hosted a lot of players over the years, um, which sadly they're not doing this year because of COVID. Um, yeah. But... Yeah, you've hosted a lot of players now that I think about it. And those are only the ones that, you know, when I was there for the four years. But who are some of the players that you've hosted that stand out and why? Well, yeah, I don't know how many I've had over the years. Uh, um, And and some of them were part years and Mm -hmm. some of them were multiple years so it averages out quite a bit <laughs> yeah you know the one the one that i have to say you know that stands out um and you'll get a kick out of this uh, and he's, he's currently playing in the big leagues and that's your buddy lou trevino yeah and lou was at my house and you were so excited when this guy from slippery rock was coming to Beloit. yeah i didn't even know where slippery rock was <laughs> anyway lou ended up at my house and uh He's still playing and doing well with uh, Oakland, so okay. I, I just actually get once in a while a, a, a instant message from him. Okay, and I got a chance to see him 
two seasons ago when I was out of spring training um, that uh, uh, he was relieving as he might position as he was uh, a good guy, a really down to earth guy, and I was just tickled that he made it this in the big leagues like that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I the, the other one that comes to mind um, again he made it to um, the major league level, but didn't stay. Is the, and I had mostly pitchers, as you know. Right. Brought their own group in, and then it kind of self-sustained itself every year um, through referrals, you know, word mm-hmm. of mouth at uh, spring training. So I, I had uh, 98% of them were, were um, uh, pitchers, but I did have a catcher who makes me chuckle to this day, and that's Bruce Maxwell. Yeah. <laughs> and Bruce, Bruce uh, um, came in um, and um, didn't have a host family and kind of... Um, was looking at it, so we, the guys that were at my, coming to my house said, okay, uh, they're all pitchers, but they, they asked me yes and said, we'll take a catcher. And so mm-hmm. uh, I got him into the house. Um, he was heading down the road and first the road trip going out of town on the first, uh, first game of the year and had left all his stuff at the hotel. And I had to go get it because it was going on the sweet. I, I remember that vaguely. <laughs> and, then, and then if that wasn't us, I'm hauling bags and bags. And he had a lot of nice stuff and he carried with him a lot of toys and stuff and clothes. And, and uh, he had a truck where he packed it all in and everything. Um, and I said, so what's going to happen if you get promoted? You know, it, 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 you go the next day and they fly you you know, wherever you're going. Right. And, and he said, well, I'll just, you know, tell him I'm going to drive and I'll be there a day later. <laughs> That's not how it works. Yeah. So long story short, he gets promoted and I got all this stuff. To, I mean, he's, he's out of there like the next morning. And I not only had to get all this stuff out of the hotel room to my house, I had to take it out of the house and put it into his truck. And then somebody came and picked it up. So yeah, he sticks out in my mind from that. And then of course he made it to to uh, he pitched or caught for a while in the majors. And mm-hmm. um, but, but he sticks out. And you know, there's there's a lot of them uh, that that still stay in touch. You know, that are out of baseball and that uh, uh, that are or maybe they're out of playing professional baseball, a lot of them are still in the sport. Okay. Um, some of them have clinics and some of them are, are in um, smaller programs in, in parks and racks. Uh, so that there's, I guess those are the ones that come to mind. I did have, have one that I, I always have to laugh about and trying to remember what his name was. Um, uh, the Greek guy, I can't remember. Oh, Mason. Um, this is when we were with the twins, Mason Alatakis, I think. Oh, okay, yeah. He's not listening. <laughs> but he got transferred from Elizabethan up to, to Beloit. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, anyway, he had bought a car when he was down there, but had ordered a car. And then it got finished um, and delivered when he was up in Beloit. So I had a I had to accept his car at the house here. <laughs> and a flatbed came in. Uh. <laughs> 
And the morning Mason left all these hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars for the delivery guy. So <laughs> I had to create the receipt and take care of paying the guy off. But oh. And then we took off driving all over the state line area together. So. Wow. You know, there's, there's, they're all, they're all pleasant memories. I didn't have any trouble with anybody. I even had the my first, my first player. I mean, that's probably the most unique one. Was from Taiwan. Oh. So um, that's what uh, got me started. Uh, okay. Uh, Wang Wei Lin. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I've heard you talk about him. Wang Wei's still playing in Taiwan. He's in baseball. I still see him on Facebook with his kids and and still wearing a uniform. Wow. So some great stories. Okay. Um, the two that stand out to me that you mentioned um, was Bruce Maxwell because, so so he stood out to me because he had a Cadillac Escalade truck with Rawlings leather seats inside. Yeah. Um, That's him. Yep. Um, and then Big Lou, obviously, um, we went to college together and I had, we we weren't like friends, but like we knew we had seen each other like on campus. And I saw him at like one of my buddy's parties at his at his house there, right off of campus. And then I think two years later, there he is in in the Beloit clubhouse. And I was like, "Hey, I know you." And he's like, "Yeah, I know you too." <laughs> you know, um, we we both went to a school that was nine thousand students. So, um. All right, DC. What has it been like watching the team switch from an Oakland A's affiliate to a Miami Marlins affiliate? Well, uh, I mean, I, this is um, kind of uh, a change that I wasn't that close to. I mean, obviously, I was close with Oakland, um, and we were together. Um, uh, when the uh, actually when COVID broke, mm-hmm. <laughs> I was out in spring training with with the guys at, at uh, in Arizona, and uh, that was when they sent all the players back, and all the games were canceled, both the big leagues and the minor league, and uh, left them. There. Oakland was a great great relationship, as were the Twins and Brewers, and um, anyway after the uh, Shuffling with the player development agreement, um, you know, Oakland, or it looked like Oakland was going up to Canada, Vancouver. Oh, okay. To be part of, there there was talk about the intention to try to keep the teams closest to their affiliate parent, to their parent organization, Mm -hmm. and Vancouver was going to be up in Canada, so anyway, the... uh, the uh, uh, we thought that uh, they were going to go up there and and be part of uh, Oakland, but as it turned out, then uh, uh, when 
when the Canadians all stuck together, Oakland was back looking at Hawaii, but in the meantime, the Marlins had talked to Quinn Studer, our new new owner, mm-hmm. and um, and so uh, that worked out with the Marlins because uh, Quinn's other team down in Pensacola is also a Marlins affiliate. So yeah. that worked out from that respect, but it put the A's back into uh, Michigan, another Midwest League uh, team uh, in Lansing. So they have a yeah. beautiful stadium and everything. Um, but I, I enjoyed uh, Oakland a lot. Um, you know, they, the, uh, the, the people that, that I did work with were very fantastic. Uh, mm-hmm. I can't really say, it sounds like the Marlins have had a great relationship with Studer Group, and uh, that should be fantastic. And um, you know, Mr. Jeter will be out here at least once. Yeah. Hopefully more than that. And that should be fun. And mm-hmm. we have, uh, yeah, it'll be fun to have a, a big league uh, GM, female, a female GM. Yeah. That's kind of a nice thing. And mm-hmm. so they have a strong. Um, farm system. Um, I've seen that, yeah. Is, I think it was in the top five or six or something like that in mm-hmm. the beginning of the season as far as rankings go. So they should be exciting. Um, and I, I know Quince excited about it and uh, I certainly am as well. So Yeah. Um, speaking... I haven't, had an affiliate I, I haven't had an affiliate I didn't like. Okay. The Brewers, the Twins, the A's, and the Marlins, but uh, like I said, I won't have as much involvement with it once the deal goes through. Okay, all right, yeah, that's um exciting. Yeah, I mean, I know Miami has one of the top farm systems. Um, you guys just promoted uh Griffin Conine, who is the yeah. minor league baseball leader in home runs. Um, right. he, <laughs> I f- kind of feel bad for the guy, you know. he. He grinded it out there in Pullman and made a name for himself and then doesn't even get to play in the new stadium. Yeah, I know it. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, the folks with, with Oakland were fantastic. I mean, Doc and, um, you know, all the managers that I worked with, Mignante, and then um, Fran, Fran Reardon, you know, definitely stands out to, to me. Um, I spent the most time with him, but... Um, yeah, Oakland has some some great folks. I don't know if you know this, but um, so the team that I worked for here, um, which is on the border of Maryland and Delaware, they own the Stockton team as well. Um, so so there was some some overlap. You know, our team president, well, our he's he is the president of all three teams in the ownership group. He would he would come to Delmarva once a month or so, and then he, you know at that point you know I think Magnante was their manager for for a, a while, um, and he would you know I'd always ask him like how how's my buddy Rick doing and and he said he'd say oh he's doing he's doing good he, you know he asked about you blah 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 you know that kind of stuff um, so there was some overlap there um, you know the team president and I knew a lot of the same people but. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's kind of neat. I mean, the one that that really sticks as we're as we're talking that that sticks out uh, um, as far as relationships goes, and still to this day, 
is when we have the brewers and we, our last three years, our last eight years, eight, eight years with the brewers was with Don Money. Yeah. And Don Money, when I was a kid, was, was one of my idols in, in Milwaukee. And um, lo and behold, he ends up, you know, coming to Beloit. Mm-hmm. And he loved it. Um, he and his wife Sharon loved it. And he still comes back and visits his uh, friends that were neighbors and Sharon's friend. Uh, the wives are friends, and okay. so it, it, it's a great, great relationship, and uh, uh, it, that makes a whole whole thing. And I can go through. Oh yeah. You know, people, you know, like like you just did. You know, um, but that one now I, that I think about it, that was eight long years, and he was he was just a riot, just a riot. Who was the guy? who was a manager for Beloit that he owned part of the... I can't remember what that bar's name is. The one that's out there kind of in the boonies. Yeah, yeah. What was that bar called? Um, the um, Hog Cabin. Yeah, the Hog... The, how could I forget? I mean, they sponsored the Hog Cabin yeah. deck, the... The hog call. How could, how could I ever forget? Um, but yeah, he he. You know, after he retired from managing and coaching baseball, he's he bought part of the bar and stuck around. Right. Yeah. He, he since unfortunately passed away, so we lost him. I heard uh, that actually. Yeah, but the, the hog cabin's still there. Okay, it's a good yeah, time. That's a, that's another one that came and never left. <laughs> yep, yep. Wow. So um, we were talking about you know how Quint owns you know the Snappers now, and then um, the team in Pensacola as well, and they're both Miami Marlins affiliates. Um, Quint has been on this podcast as well, probably about a year ago. Um, so what has it been like working with Quint Studer on this project? Well, Quint, um, Quint's been fun to, to work with. I mean, and I have to start with the fact that it, it was somewhat ironic that he ends up being the partner with the team because when we were first looking at, after we had decided as a board that we needed to sell the franchise to make to get a new stadium, there was no way we could fundraise the whole thing. Mm-hmm. We had to sell the franchise and use the proceeds to go towards the new stadium. Okay. Uh, once we did that, Pat O'Connor, who was president of the minor league baseball at the time, was giving us some guidance. And one of the, the uh, suggestions he had was if if we were interested, there's a fellow, Quinn Studer, who was originally from Janesville, mm-hmm. uh, who owns one of the clubs. I didn't even know at, at the time which one it was, but um, he's willing to help if there's anything he can do. So I talked to him. I, I remember standing in our old clubhouse on my cell phone when we connected the first time, but I never really thought it would be him at the end. I just thought he was reaching out to be nice. And yeah. I finally found out who he was and, um, and more details about his history and and uh, lo and behold, one thing led to another over the, the next uh, years that, that followed. And he ended up coming being the owner. Um, wow. 
with a lot of other things in the middle for you know that that we looked at um, doing, and at the end we had the opportunity to um, sell it to um, to other uh, parties, and Quint was willing to keep it in Beloit as he believed in what Beloit was all about. Uh, he believed in the community of the statewide community with Janesville where he grew up. His kids, some of his kids are still there. Mm -hmm. And uh, he loved what we had done so far with the downtown that he mentioned it even in one of his books um, about downtown redevelopment and uh, successes. Yeah. And, um, so it was a, a lot of things came together with a simple follow-up of, of uh, an invitation. If I can help, you know, I will. And uh, he's told me since that, you know, he's not out looking to buy teams mm -hmm. uh, probably wouldn't buy another team but this one being geographically where it is and the right. and his family still around in this area um, that it, it, and, and what we had already done with the downtown all fit into you know kind of his hot buttons and, right uh, so it, it was a great uh, match from that respect and uh, we're excited to um, you know turn the the ownership over to somebody like that. Um, I mentioned that it could have gone elsewhere. I mean, we, we could have lost it, but when the board made the resolution and passed the resolution that we had to sell the franchise, there was a second part of it was that it had to stay in, in the Beloit area mm -hmm. at all possible. Um, and that was met in this, um, in this offer wow. that we received. So, it's like so. a perfect puzzle. Yeah, it came together. So just like a lot of these things that we talked about, I mean, it took a while, and it, you know, there's a lot of stuff going around, and it all ended up finally coming together. And now we, the deal is still has to get approved by Major League Baseball. We're still, our hopefully hours away. I mean, um, you know, okay, we do have an operating agreement that Quinn's uh, company had that I think went back to March 1st of, of 2020. So they've been running the club since then. Um, and uh, we're just waiting for the final, all the documents to get approved, and uh, they can get it going. Okay. So, all right. Yeah, it's a great, great story with Ben Scooter's organization. Yeah, and he was telling me um, about, you know, when he bought the team in Pensacola, and it sounded like a very similar situation. Um, right. You know, they were... They're playing on an old high school field. Um, you know, the the city of Pensacola didn't really have a whole lot to offer at that point. Um, but with his business, you know, expertise, I guess, um, and then, you know, raising enough money to for a new stadium and that kind of stuff, um, and how it blossomed, you know, the city of Pensacola as a whole, um, it's definitely, there was a lot of similarities in the stories. Yep. So definitely you you're exactly right. And and he and his wife Rishi, you know, they have shops in Janesville. Mm -hmm. Rishi has a uh, well, a block I'd say of, of shops as part of Janesville's downtown redevelopment, uh, like they have in Pensacola as well. Okay. Uh, coffee shop and and uh, it was it, it's really neat. So that's that also seeing what Floyd was doing with this downtown was very much what they 
saw as, as uh, importance in the two communities that they were already related to in Janesville and Pensacola. Okay. Is Bubba Watson going to be a part owner of this one? I don't think so. <laughs> Not that I know of. I mean, I could be. Yeah, who knows? Who knows? Um, so this is the Pulling Tart podcast. Um, do you remember any memorable tart pulls over the years? I was, you know, I, I tried to, like you said earlier in the podcast, that because of my ankle, I stayed away from them. But I trying to remember, there was a lot of challenging ones where they didn't go on right. Mm-hmm. But thank goodness we didn't have the ones that you see on the videos where they were blowing over the outfield wall. I mean, we had tarps come off the field at night and in the morning it would be over the outfield wall mm-hmm. um, it, the stakes would come out but not during the game or anything <laughs> like that or we didn't have anybody get rolled up and we had to cut the tarp or anything and all these horror stories but I you know and I I tried to stay away and, um, and watch from afar so maybe you have better stories than I do on you know somebody getting caught and I know Laura was going crooked, and the groundskeeper and the general manager was trying to steer the thing. Yeah. And it was headed in the wrong direction. But uh... Most of the time, I was sprinting from the press box down yeah. to the field. Um, I, do remember, I do remember one that um, I th- I'm pretty sure fans came out of the stands to, to help us put it on because it was so windy, um, yeah. we were, we were going to lose it. Um, I do, I do remember one of those. And then I remember, um, one of the, so I think it was a high school game or a Legion game that I was the, you know, person in charge at the game. I was the only staff member there and, um, we had an assistant grounds crew guy there as well. And, at that point, we were using the ranger to pull out the tarp from the outfield wall, so that it, you know, went on a little easier. Um, and it started pouring, pouring down rain, and the assistant grounds crew guy says, "says All right, you know, move the ranger, like move it out into the outfield." And I put the pedal to the metal, and I didn't think about it, but the the grass was so wet that it it put like a big divot in the it was it wasn't in the field like in the play of, like of the field but it was um right beyond the foul line and oh. luckily now th- and I and I've told this story to Mitch and he said he said I would have killed you um <laughs> but um Zach Ricketts was our groundskeeper at that point and he kind of and and I told him about it the next day obviously and he just kind of you know shook his head and was just like it's not that big of a deal just be careful what you're doing next time and and you know he said he would take care of it but I do rem- I remember really feeling anxious about that thinking that he was going to be really mad at me well, now that I, I think as I listen to you, I, I think I remember one where our general manager, Jeff Boss, he, he was a pretty big guy. He was, and you know how we would stand on the tarp on the edges to the groundskeeper would come and put the stakes in or some yeah. assistant groundskeeper. So you had to hold that 
tarp down and he was standing and you know how that wind can get underneath it. He got flipped up in the air as big as he is six five or whatever. Yeah, he's a big guy. And, and not a skinny six five. Um got flipped up from the force of that wind. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Yeah. yeah. Uh. So you've overseen a lot of staff over the years, clearly. What's the weirdest excuse that a staff member has used to call out of work? Well, you know, that I, I probably didn't get the weird ones, you know, because I normally would just have to listen to the general manager. Right. So I didn't get that many. Uh, you probably know some better ones than I do. Um, uh, you know, the oversleeping is a, is common, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, I can't think of any uh, excuses that... Uh, I mean... Uh, I can't. I really don't know if I have any. Uh, okay. No worries. What do you remember? Um, a dog bag or something. <laughs> I I remember a certain staff member um, either coming in late or calling out semi frequently because they overdid it the night before, um, but. I can't really when I when I was there everybody was pretty good about about showing up um I can't can't really remember any that sticks out in my mind um I know on this podcast I've told the story about how you and I fired an intern Okay, was that, yeah. It was on my birthday. Oh, gosh. <laughs> you have better memory than I do. <laughs> and, and, I, and I said, you know, it takes a lot to get, to get fired from the bully snappers um, as an intern. Because, I mean, we, weren't, we were paying them next to nothing. Um, it wasn't nothing, but it was next to nothing. Um, and we needed all the bodies we could get, and for you to screw up enough to <laughs> to get to get fired, um, boy, that was that was an experience. I had never I had never had to fire anybody before the, before that. I think you handled the biggest bulk of it, but I was in the room. <laughs> yep, <laughs> that was a busy day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that it was. Um, Let's see here. Um, and and I know that you spend a lot of time in the stands with the fans and stuff like that. Uh, what's the weirdest interaction that you've had with a fan? Oh, they're usually, you know, the one that, that comes to mind 
and it's, it's important to, to the fans. It's not it's not immaterial by any means, but where they don't get something because it's a quantity giveaway. Oh yeah, five hundred or something like that, and they didn't get one, and they thought that they were entitled to it, and um, been trying to deal with that. Um, and then rain delays, I know a couple of them where um, there's nothing we can do about it, you know, and how fast we can get the field, you know, taken care of and all that type of thing. And they get antsy about the delay and sitting there and not calling the game as quickly as they would like to, us to make up our mind. Mm-hmm. And that that is, it's not weird. I can understand their impatience, you know, in some of these Oh, things, yeah. But, where we're trying to fulfill a, a game and are watching the, the weather and then you have a lot of people that are watching it on their phones or something that think they have a better opinion of what it mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> where it might go and, and how quickly it'll move. And so uh, that, that's probably the most challenging ones I can remember. Okay. I think we pretty much covered this question. What does the new stadium mean for Beloit and the surrounding areas? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it, we did cover a lot, and I think with the downtown location, it's just going to continue to increase the development down there because um, mm-hmm. the fans are um, going to be coming and parking all around that area. So before and after the games, I think you're going to see a lot of traffic in the surrounding businesses and I'm sure you're going to see more um, hospitality related businesses springing up in that area right um, uh, as we as we go forward it's too and the ones that that are there um, will also reap benefits of um, one of the things is the parking intentionally wasn't overbuilt um, and the hope is to have the people walk through some of the downtown areas there. Okay. Uh, and that will relate in visit, uh, into, into visits um, in some of these places before and after the game. Yeah. And people just won't get in their car like they do at Pullman Field in the parking lot and go home. Right. Or even some of the places that we've looked in historically when we were trying to find a site was along the interstate, which mm-hmm. we found was pretty good, easy yeah. access, easy on, easy off, but it had virtually no economic impact around it. Okay. People exited and went home to Milwaukee or Madison and, and uh, never spent any any time or spent any money either after the game. And so this way, they may wait for traffic or get there a little ahead of time and have something to eat, see something in the store while they're walking to their car. So I think it's going to have a huge economic impact. Yeah, I agree. Um, you study economic impact and how that dollar coming in from an out-of-area, um, you know, rolls over into the hands of numerous, um, not, not just business owners, but those business owners, suppliers, and their, their, their employees, and their employees are spending that money again. So it's right. a ripple effect of that economic impact is way bigger than a lot of people realize. And I think we're going to see that hit Deloitte a lot and the state line area as a whole. Right. Yeah, I think you're going to see more people from Illinois coming up. Um, Right. More people, 
you know, from the Janesville area that rather than going to a Madison Mallards game, coming down to Beloit for games, um, in, you know, Milwaukee as well, um, you know, just because I think the quality of play is, is better. Um, and they want to see the new stadium, obviously. So, um, yeah, really, since you left, I think there's one or two, two, two new hotels already. And okay. there's, there's another one planned as part of the, um, there's a casino, uh, that was approved, a, a Native American casino, um, that the governor finally gave the okay on. Right. So there's a lot of things that, um, fit together in the big picture of bringing people to the state line area who will, you know, obviously happily spend some money that will turn over multiple times in our region and create quite an economic impact together uh, with all these other uh, components. Perfect. Wow. Is it is it true that if somebody hits a home run down the left field line at the new stadium that it's in Illinois? Uh, no, it, if it's down the left field line, it would be in the river. Okay. Uh, and it, they'd have to hit a foul ball tipped up over the grandstand, and then it would go into Illinois. Okay. Uh, or really crank it. Yeah, it would be tough to even do that. I mean, Illinois is uh, the front of the stadium, and the bowl faces out. Um, into Wisconsin, so okay, some of all could get in there, and uh, maybe some instances. Sure, okay. We're close, we're right on the state line. There's going to be parking on the Illinois side as well, or uh, actually, um, off the uh, Sherland Avenue that you're familiar with, mm-hmm. the major road between the two states, but right on part of the south side of Sherland, it's actually Wisconsin as well, so. Okay. So they uh, they definitely could probably get it over there, but it would be a challenge. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. What has been the most exciting moment that you've seen at Pullman Field? I know there's a lot. There's a lot of memories there. Yeah, I I think. Um, I would say the the thing that. And if you tie it to Pullman Field, it would be related to this bigger event. But um, when I when I saw uh, the 1995 championship, I mean, I was there in mm-hmm. 1995, the one and only Midwest League championship for the franchise. While it was won in Michigan, Battle Creek was no longer in, in the league. Mm-hmm. But we went over and followed the bus uh, over to... Uh, play and fully intended that we would be there longer than one night so we had a hotel reservation and everything and well our our team uh, won the thing and uh, captured the championship so we turned around and followed the buses home (laughs) Um, and they were of course celebrating all the way uh, in the bus Uh, but uh, I got to got to uh, participate in the, the Battle Creek uh, Stadium and the Visitors Clubhouse during the celebration and there witness it firsthand and, and get the, the shower as you traditionally do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then the drive home 
and uh, they had to stop a couple of times replenish supplies <laughs> players but the, the thing I'll never forget is when we finally got back to Beloit and it might might have been two three in the morning and uh, we came in and uh, here in front of Pullman Field just as you remember it on the street and in that little parking lot in front we had all these people waiting for us <laughs> it stayed up to greet the team when they when they got back, and uh, that I'll never forget. That was the most memorable experience. I can still visualize it. Cameras were there from Rockford and Madison, mm -hmm. and they had the lights on the cameras as the players got off, um, and they were asking them what they thought, and you know, they were obviously joyous and tired, and <laughs> and, uh, and and had partied a lot, and, and so it yep. was. Uh, a memorable time, but once in a lifetime. And then when the rings came, everybody got the rings. Okay. <laughs> um, some guys that made the league, uh, that made the majors um, after Beloit. Ronnie Belliard. Oh, yeah, Ronnie Belliard. Yep. <laughs> uh, John Jeha. Oh, yeah. Yep. Danny Klassen. Awesome. Yeah, okay. Greg Mullins. Yep. Dave Nilsson. I think those were, um, and Steve Woodard were uh, rehabs. They were they were major league rehabs. Um, okay. Jeff Bronke. Uh, Jeff D'Amico. Jeff D'Amico, yeah. He was a pitcher, right? Yes. Mike Ignaciak. Oh yeah, that's right. Uh, and Kelly Kelly Winch. Yeah, Kelly Winch. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, those were some of the guys that that were on that championship team. Wow. <laughs> but Sham Gold is not a part of that. Was this? I think in a different year. Um, I didn't see it. Uh, must be a different year. Yeah, no, I. Those were the only guys that that made the big leagues after. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Jim Gold probably didn't, and I don't even know if he was Jim Gold. Um, was um, I think in an all-star team that I went on the road with that. Uh, that's why that popped into my mind. Okay. And it wasn't the '95 championship. Okay, gotcha. I remember that. He was only he was twenty years old. Yeah. So went on to have a. They, they had um, during that. I mean, they had ninety-five wins or something in that year too. It was just a remarkable year, and I think they had an attitude in the clubhouse that was we're going to get this one today and um, they did the Notre Dame touching the, the oh yeah through the door mm -hmm. and they had title town over the door oh wow just like you know like Packers yeah town. yeah so they put that over the door through the uh, to go outside and then they were all touching it as they went out to the concourse <laughs> the laundry room you know, they were all looking wow I'll never forget that um, yeah, the team. The team went eighty-eight and fifty-one. 
Wow. Yeah. Goodness gracious. Wow. All right. So let's see. Yeah. Oh, what has been your favorite concessions item at Pullman Field? Well, the all around has to be the cheese curds. Okay. I I mean, that's it. Actually, they're they're not served this year yet because I don't think they put the fires in. Oh, okay. They'll have the new part. Okay. Um, yeah, Wisconsin real cheese. Yeah, I so we talked about how my first year in Beloit was a director of food and beverage, and I remember Matt Bozen, the general manager at the time, telling me, "You can't run out of these things: beer, brats, hot dogs, and cheese curds." And and me coming from the East Coast, I looked him dead in the eye, and I and I said, "What are cheese curds?" And oh, <laughs> he he looked at me. He's like, "Are you are you kidding me?" And I was like, "No, what are they?" And he described them. And then he was, you could just see the look in his eyes. He's like, "Boy, we're gonna have a long season." <laughs> yeah. And, and ours were very good. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. It kind of depended on who was manning the fryers that night. But all in all, they were they were pretty darn good. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, tell, I tell people, I tell people all the time, you know, cheese, cheese curds are, are amazing. And they, they have no idea what they are. I tell them they got to go to the Midwest. Yeah, yeah. Uh, What's the strangest thing that you've had to assist with during a game? Um, this. Well, the the strangest thing was uh, assisting with a lightning strike. I think um, uh, the lights went out. Well, I don't know if you should say lightning, but it was uh, uh, the lights got hit with a snowstorm coming in, <clears throat> and the the moisture of the the snow and the freezing caused the lights to sh- short out and cause a little bit of a puff like that. Oh, yeah. It wasn't a lightning strike, but it was it was weather related. <clears throat> and then sitting with the lights off. Um, uh, and trying to wait to restart them, as you recall, um, was a, a, a period of time to let them cool off completely before we turned them back on. But I think that was the game where we actually had to take the we had physical snow piling up on the on the uh, field uh, and on top of the uh, gator. And the, the game was eventually called, but we were hoping that it wouldn't amount to that much and that was that was definitely a challenging one the, the one the also one that i remember helping with was in the later years when we were going to the playoffs could have gone uh had a chance to go to the playoffs and we had rain and we had to get the warning track in condition and the rain just kept coming and coming and coming mm-hmm. and we got the thing in and when it was king county was at the other and waiting for us to decide if we were going to cancel because then they'd go in 
to the playoffs, but we were going to play, so they they had to play their game. And long story short, uh, we we won, they lost, I think, and we went on to the next round in Cedar Rapids. But uh, it never had so much so much turfus and, and clay and everything. Not clay, but um, ground mix and and squeegees of the trying to get that warning track dry. We just got downpour, so that was that was a challenge for sure too. <laughs> okay. I remember one time. I think it was. I think it was the first game of the season, um, where we had to call the game because of snow. Um, I yeah. I remember it was against the Timber Rattlers, and yeah. I remember once we finally called the game. I know we had a we had you know Latin guys. Um, they had Latin guys, and then I remember our catcher at the time was Hawaiian, um, and they all went out there and made snow angels in the outfield because they had never yeah. seen snow before. I think that's the one I was talking about. Yeah, now that I think about it. it was the Wisconsin Timber on their team at that one, but the, it was like a whiteout the way the snow was coming initially, the big flakes, and that's yeah. what caused the light the lights to somehow spark or some or some uh receptacle part up there got too wet and froze and it was just nasty goodness but yeah it was called eventually when it just wouldn't stop <laughs> and all the people were huddled underneath the grandstand <laughs> yeah <laughs> so what's the best and worst promotion that you've been a part of i don't know i mean i as far as the promotional item i think the best thing that this isn't a promotional, I don't, so maybe it doesn't qualify, but best thought out series of, of uh, items was when we had Snappy and all the holiday hats, or the different seasonal hats. Oh, yeah. Yep. They were hot items. And okay. It wasn't a giveaway, it wasn't a promotion, but we did it throughout the seasons, and had them in the um, Fourth of July hat, Uncle Sam, and, and all the way on to uh, Pilgrim for Thanksgiving, and uh, <laughs> everybody bought one. It was just like, what else can we dream up? And that was clever. Um, I don't know if we if we had a, a bad promotion in the sponsor. I'm not going to say because I don't know if the sponsors listen. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we ever had that bad of a, of a promotion. Um, so I'll I'll touch on that. So, I don't know. I tried to make a promotion out of nothing because, as you know, my marketing budget was almost non-existent. Um, but I tried to spin it. Do you remember the the player Josh Murray? Yeah. And he was on... He, he won the Bachelorette. And I remember... Yeah. Um, oh! Oh, I know where you're going with this. Yeah. I remember my intern and I, Colin, at the time, yeah. try tried to make a promotional night out of it, and it yeah. was it was a success to some degree, but I mean, not really, because um, we came up with it probably a week before it happened and tried to execute it and that kind of stuff. Um, but that was interesting. I think, and this was after me, but I think. Unfortunately for you guys, the timing of the um, Bruce Maxwell bobblehead giveaway was not great. 
I mean, there was no way you could foresee that, obviously. But yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, but yeah, um, I do remember when you know when I moved computers, like when I moved desks. I remember coming across those snappy graphics with with in different holiday. You know, like you said, like the Thanksgiving and the Christmas, the Christmas hat. Um, I remember there was one where he was playing basketball, um, and that, and there was one with like a a green and yellow helmet that resembled the Packers, where it was, where he was playing football. Um, I I remember coming across those, and I think I asked you one time, like, what were these ever used for? And you told me. <laughs> At yeah, that, that was that was uh, I think Jeff Nelson's era. Um, that he had all those different ideas, and people loved them. I mean, and they were multiple in one year. I mean, it wasn't just like one a year or one. You know, just the, like you explained, the different things that came up, and they, we could do one like that. And yeah, <laughs> it was it was funny. That's I interesting. Know, I probably have one or two in my closet. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> wow. Uh, we do have some listener questions for you, so let's see here. Um, this is from the Beloit River Rockers. Uh, over the past 40 years, professional baseball has come and gone in communities like Rockford, Madison, and Kenosha. How has Beloit been able to survive for so long, and just how many close calls have there been for the team? Well, I mean, there's been a lot of close calls that we've kind of talked through some mm-hmm. of that already um, today. But, um, you know, the, the first part of the question is how we survived. I think, you know, that we, we spent what we had and not anymore. Um, and, and we had a tremendous amount of volunteers. Um, that is not that common. You know, I'm yeah. talking about volunteers. Um, I mentioned that the board was volunteer, obviously, and the organization was a not-for-profit. But we also had volunteers where a lot of teams have paid employees. Mm-hmm. And that was probably the biggest um, saving on the bottom line. Yes. All the, the people that volunteered in the concession stands, taking tickets, ushering, um, repairing the park instead of hiring someone to, to, to fix broken items and, and things like that. And then where we had major issues, we had the corporations support it now with uh, welding something in their factories or repairing something that they could do in the shop that we couldn't do. Um, and that, that was extremely important. We had... Uh, wonderful corporate sponsors, um, especially in these years where I talked about where you have major, major businesses um, in town. Um, it was it was uh, unusual if they didn't have an employee night or some type of thing right. like that. Um, so we, they, were, they were behind us all the time, um, both with fan support and, and corporate sponsorship advertising. Um, and uh, it was a combination of all that and, and, and close control by the board of directors on the, on the dollars. I mean, we, uh, we ran the place as a, as a business, and we, we saw the financials as a whole board every month. We had budgets, things that um, 
kind of keep you on track. And we really only, you know, fell into trouble um, in, in that, um, I would say, 2000 year when we had a few things that got out of control quickly. Um, that was a one-time occurrence. That was the year we had spent a lot of money on promotions with the Hall of Famers and the uh. marching band and, and, I mean, a lot of things. Back-to-back uh, Hall of Famers, and it was just uh, way more money than than we had. But uh, that was a one and only um, season. But it, it did cost us greatly that we could never completely crawl out of um, in that uh, era. But all the other things kept us afloat, um, and the board's determination to uh, keep the franchise here, whatever it took. Yeah. And, and despite a lot of pressure from minor league baseball, you know that you know why don't you just sell it and you know get a independent league club? Yeah, Pullman Field would be fine. Uh, we didn't want to accept that out. Right. Um, and uh, I think a lot of the teams, um, you know, that that were referenced by the question. I mean, and, and there are more, um, but that, you know, I when I started, there, there was another four or five teams. In, in our area in, in the state mm-hmm. uh, and Rockford. And, right. Uh, it's, it is amazing. When we saw them dropping in, um, one by one and uh, and getting bought out and moved, they were mostly moving out east and eastward, I should say. Yeah. And uh, to bigger markets. It was, uh, it was challenging. And, and then the standards kept increasing. Um, I think what saved us um, in one particular year was um, the city manager at that time, Larry Arp, was able to get us the uh, money through the city for uh, modification of the field and the concourse. Yeah. Uh, so we, we were able to do that. And the clubhouse we raised with private donations. So, again, it was the community spirit that I talked about earlier and everybody helping each other. We had a build indoor batting cages. We had volunteers help us with a lead contractor. Um, so all the hurdles we, we, we tried to get over um, and did and the best we could to, to meet the standards. And uh, I think a lot of them saw all that coming and they didn't uh, have the, the uh, financial ability or the, or the community volunteer effort that we saw. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, part you know that first year when I was director of food and beverage, that was one of the biggest portions of my job was to to manage the different groups of volunteers. Right. Um, was it challenging? Yes, but also they're working for free, so of course you know of, you know, um, but but yeah. I I do think that that is what you know, not single handedly, but pretty darn close. That's what helped keep you guys afloat for for so long. Yeah. Um, you know the folks. I mean, shout out to the to the Pingle family. Um, right. They're big supporters of the Snappers, hosted players, and volunteered almost at least one two games of homestand. So. Right. Yeah, it's, it's definitely the volunteers and uh, the uh, is the biggest single piece of mm-hmm. the, 
those secret ingredients if that's what you want to call yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's one more um, listener question. Uh, this is from Mike Sellers, um, who listens to every episode, um, and I've had him on the podcast as well. Uh, my question for Dennis is, can we get a hint toward what the next team name will be for Beloit in 2022? I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a well-kept secret. I was aware of the finalists, uh, but um, I know it's, uh, it's undercover with the, the, the new ownership group and I think that's rightfully so. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, uh, we can uh, focus on getting the team into the new ballpark and across the finish line and close the sale and then worry about what, what they're going to call it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's that's funny. I'm, I'm rooting for the Supper Clubbers. Ah, okay. Because I just think that it is so geographically you know it it screams it screams wisconsin in the midwest um you know only people that are that are from the area will will know what what a supper club is but i think that you could there's potential there that you could do some cool things with with merchandise and mascots and that kind of stuff as well um if you think outside the box enough but um I do. I do miss going to some good supper clubs. Yeah, we have we have those around here. That's for sure. The Butterfly Club. Shout out to the Butterfly Club. Before I forget, do you still see Gary Kenny around town? Jerry. Kenny? Jerry. Jerry Kenny. That's it. Yeah. Yeah, I have not seen him for a while. Okay. No. All right. I think he's still around. I do. I do hear about him, but I definitely do not see him out in public very often. I don't remember the last time i saw him i so i was with bill and we went to burger king one day for lunch and he starts chatting it up with this guy and i was like who was that and he goes that guy was the center fielder for the yankees and i said what and here at the burger king in beloit wisconsin and and then um sure enough I, i looked him up on baseball reference and he played for the Yankees, and then he he was a veteran as well, and went into the war. Um, and then I think he only missed he either missed one or two seasons. Came back with the Yankees, and I think he finished his career with the Cleveland Indians. But right. born and raised in Beloit, Wisconsin. Yeah, I mean, I used to see him um, regularly on the street, and under you know, wouldn't even know who he who he was. Had who he was and what he had done, and until somebody pointed out, you know who that is. Yeah, but he used to sit indiscreetly in the grandstand. Um, I I want to say on the third base side when I did see him, but I have not seen him out. Um, okay. For quite a while. All right. But yeah, he's a great guy. Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. And we'll f- wrap things up here. Uh, where can the listeners find you online or on social media, Dennis? Well, I, I guess uh, <laughs> if I respond, but I have a Twitter account, um, <laughs> Den Connor One. All right. At Den Connor One. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, I'm on Facebook too. So okay, and you're on LinkedIn too. Yep, and I'm on LinkedIn. Right? Yep, yep. Okay, perfect. And I know you've listened to Quint's episode, and um, I think Zach Ricketts' episode, maybe a couple others. Um, but you know, I end this, the episode with the same question every week. During your minor league baseball career, what has been your favorite walk-up song, and whose was it? And my, when you told me this was coming, I, I thought, I never really you know, had time to listen to all those walk-up songs. Well, I listened to all of them. I know, you're in the press box, yeah. every batter, and... I was very much doing everything else, and, and when I could hear, when I couldn't understand it a lot, half the time, because a lot of our Latin players had music that I didn't know, I didn't recognize. Right. You know, so I don't even know what I, uh, when, you know, what I would say is. Uh, okay. Well, we'll change it then. We'll say, if you were a baseball player, what would your walk-up song be? I would do this theme from Rocky. Oh. Yeah. That would, that would get me pumped. That's a good one. Okay. Um, I know, I think I've had this happen at least two or three times where um, it were it was people that either made visits to Beloit or that worked in the press box in Beloit. Um, they would say Joe Benny's walk-up song when he had Benny and the Jets. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. That one I do remember now. Yeah. Joe Benny's still around. Yeah, yeah. Um, he's he's doing some some training with uh, with young baseball players. Um, I think teaching them yeah. how to hit, and I think he's coaching some teams and stuff like that. So he has taken on a role, I think, uh, nationally in in the program for the youth uh, development in the baseball and. Uh, uh, yeah, it was nice that he married a Beloit girl and ended up staying here. So. One of one of our promo promo girls. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, his uh, his batting uh, uh, complex and training complex and batting cage is less than a half mile from where I live. So uh, okay, I haven't seen him around, but I know one of the neighbors' kids goes over there. So uh, oh, nice. He's definitely a job, I think he's. Getting uh, teams ready to go on with some traveling league. And, okay. So, uh, Very he's cool. Still active. I think his brother might be helping him too. Yeah, I think I think that's true. Um, but yeah, we'll stick around and, and chat for a little bit here, DC. But but thank you so much for coming on to the Pulling Tart podcast. I really appreciate it. And. Um, Best of luck with with all the moving pieces that are that are coming to fall into place um, with, with the new stadium and and uh, the final sale of the team and and stuff like that. Yep, we got to get it across the finish line. Hopefully, uh, in, a, in the next couple of days, if not sooner. All right, awesome. Well, thank you so much. All right, thank you. Mm-hmm.
You've listened to the Pulling Tarp Podcast, distributed by Stoveleg Media. Make sure you check out our page at stoveleg.com to learn more about Bobby and the rest of the show. Stoveleg Media, igniting conversations.